to Bibby, has the open shot. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the NBC Sports California King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? I am just happy to be doing this post-Summer League podcast. I don't even know, do the Kings play tonight? Is there another game? I have no idea, but we made it through Summer League. I didn't have to go to Vegas. Uh, I, I would have loved to have gone to Vegas, I think, if I had like a clone of myself to just have additional time to go carousing with you crazy folks. Uh, but glad you guys are all back in one piece. That, that's a great win for Sacramento. Yeah. And uh, looking forward to talking. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff. I was actually engaged in this Summer League more more so than in past years because of all the Kings youngsters, and I'm sure we're going to get to that. Yeah, we're going to get to that. First of all, happy birthday, Aaron Bruski. And, oh, well, thank you. And me and Aaron have this weird thing where I have – it's my actual anniversary today, and uh, so we share a, a July 17th uh, day uh, where Aaron's birthday and my anniversary. So 18 little years. A bit, little bit more stress on you than me. Yeah, 18 years, Aaron. I've been married. <laughs> That congratulations, man. That is that is awesome for for people out there to hear that eighteen years of marriage is possible in this day and age. It is possible. Uh, I plan on you know going for like fifty, fifty something. I don't know, maybe sixty. I don't. Know. We'll see how long I last. You know, you you go to one of those. Uh, 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 Jackie, my wife's uh, grandparents had their fiftieth a few years back. You go to one of those things. It's awesome. You know, just to see the the longevity and and the celebration of that. So yeah, get fifty, man. Get 50. Get 50. All right, so let's get to all this Kings news. We got all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, the Sacramento Kings lost Scott Perry this week. Uh, they added three very, very, very strong veterans. Uh, and they had, I don't know what it was, the six games of Summer League, which was uh, brutal. They had a bunch of injuries. They had some good moments. They had a lot of bad moments by a couple of players. Uh, it, it was a up and down week. So, Aaron, first and foremost, let's start with the Scott Perry news because um, you know Scott Perry was here for like in basketball standards, like the blink of an eye. I mean, three months on the job, and whatever it was that he touched, he seemed to turn to gold. I don't know. I don't want to give every bit of credit just to Scott Perry, but. It's kind of like when you bring in some sort of stabilizing, you know, agent, and it, and it just makes everything else work the way it's supposed to, and that's what Scott Perry brought to the table. And I, the Kings lost a huge piece, and I know some people are going to be like, "Why did they let him interview? Why did they let him go?" Uh, folks, that's the way it works. You you can't hold a guy hostage just because he just started. If he if a dream job, a better job comes up, it doesn't matter if he's been there a month or he's been there five years. It's your kind of responsibility, if it's a step up, to allow him to go and interview and do that. And I mean, Travis Schlink left and went to the Atlanta the Atlanta Hawks, uh, and there are guys all over. I mean, look how many guys the, the San Antonio Spurs lose who just go on to bigger and better things. So it's it's kind of the way the league works. But Aaron, what are your initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, basically everything that you've just said, and I'd add that the only thing you could do in that situation is offer him the job, you know, the decision-making authority of running the Sacramento Kings on the basketball side. And that's something that the Kings, they, you know, definitely weren't going to do. And so, um, you know, au revoir, I guess is the, what is that, the French word for goodbye? Yeah. Um, he's definitely got a lot of great contacts around the league. And I think it's a good lesson in in how GMing can be done when you have a positive relationship with the press and it's not agenda driven and it's just very clean and professional and um, you, you, you get good coverage and the Kings enjoyed that good coverage for that amount of time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Three months of good coverage. Well, but, you know, the narrative had definitely turned with the Kings all the way around the league. You know, great draft, great 
uh, off season. And, and, you know, I've personally thought a lot of that stuff has been oversold, um, but it was a good off season. It was a good draft uh, for the Kings, but you know, it's good to see, um, you know, the, that the parting of ways is a good positive thing. There's no sort of weird Kangsiness going on with this thing. He will be missed as far as the, the front office goes. And, and it just, it's going to come down to who can they get into that office? Ken Catanella has done a great job as well. Um, it's just adding kind of brain power. And, and then the contacts around the league are obviously key. Yeah, the contacts around the league, I think, were the biggest difference with uh, with Scott Perry, I think his ability to bring in guys to get to get the Kings in every conversation was nuts. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that. I think what the Kings need to do is they need to find another Scott Perry, and there are guys like him around the league who have been in the you know the NBA for for fifteen twenty years and who have ties to every agency to to every other team in the league and just absolutely have that that ability to to bring everyone together. And, you know, again, I, Aaron, you, you mentioned it. The only other choice they had was to demote Vlade and put Scott Perry in, in the lead position. And even then, I don't know that that's a bigger, that that was a better opportunity for Scott Perry um, personally. And I think the Kings are in a better place than the Knicks for sure. And the Knicks ownership is uh, 100 times worse than whatever's gone on here in Sacramento. Um, and I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, but the the deal is that his his daughter, who is a uh, a screenwriter, I've actually had conversations with Scott Perry about his daughter. Um, she's a screenwriter and she's a comedy writer, and she lives in New York and she's young. She's getting her start and all that stuff. But he wanted to be him and his wife wanted to be closer uh, to their daughter as well. So when the Knicks job pop up. I mean, it literally, it checks all the boxes for Scott Perry. So I'm happy for him. Um, I'm bummed out for the Kings because I know his impact was tremendous. And I, I mean, folks, this is what it is. I mean, if if you're running any business and your number two gets offered some lucrative job to take over another business just like yours, I, I mean, you have to let him go and you have to, you know, you know, just pat him on the back and say, let's keep a good relationship and, you know, maybe we cross paths again one day. But I think, you know, the Kings lost a big, big piece to their summer. Yeah, maybe he can trade Kristaps Przingis in a couple of years. <laughs> That's right. You know, the the crazy thing is um, they they got more for Scott Perry than they did for Isaiah Thomas. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? I mean, and if that doesn't tell you where the Kings are as far as like as a franchise today versus where they were a couple of years ago, I mean, that's that's absolutely stunning. Um, they also got more for him than they did for Ben McLemore, who left and went to the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I, have we talked about that? I, I don't even know that we've touched base. You know, Darren Collison goes to Indiana. Uh, good luck to Darren Collison. Tyreek Evans signed like the small. He got less than Ben McLemore. He got like three point three million or something to go to Memphis. That's really, really hedging their bets on on his ability to play major minutes long term because of his his knee issues and lower leg issues. So I thought that was surprising. Most of the Kings, uh, Anthony Tolliver went back to Detroit. I think the one guy we haven't seen pop up is Aaron Aflalo, but all the other Kings have kind of found their homes and moved on. Langston Galloway got that, that crazy deal in Detroit. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, kind of the, so many new faces. I, I was, I was working with the Detroit roster <clears throat> with, I'm currently doing projections for our website and, uh, I figured it out. They got a, I think they're going to throw Reggie Jackson to whoever, maybe give up a pick, try to get rid of Reggie Jackson at some point during the year. And, and then Langston would be the backup there behind Ish Smith. Uh, Ty Lawson still on the market. Oh yeah. Ty so, Lawson uh, still on the market. We'll uh, have to see there, but the Kings, um, you know, as far as, uh, I guess the the saying goodbye to guys uh, like Ben McLemore, I, I would be, I, I'm actually a little optimistic about Ben's chances in Memphis to uh, have a sort of a bounce back. Uh, David Fisdale is a good up and coming coach. And I think that with that roster construction, I think, you know, they could theoretically deal Mark Gasol. I wouldn't be shocked, but um, beyond Gasol and Conley, they don't really have anybody that isn't under the age of 25. Um, you know, to play big minutes. So Ben could crack that roster. I think he's going to have to beat out Wayne Selden. Selden's had a pretty good rookie season, but um, 
you know, I think Ben's going to get about 20, 25 minutes, and you'll see him start to kind of calm down a little bit and then maybe mar- start to make his mark in the NBA. Yeah, I, I hope I hope nothing but the best for Ben McLemore. He's a good kid. He just uh, he found himself in a position that, you know, it happens to a lot of young players. They just don't develop fast enough. And he missed the youth movement window in Sacramento. He was part of something different, a confusing period of time where the Kings were caught between the DeMarcus Cousins, you know, trying to push for the playoffs and, you know, and missing it every year. And he just got caught in a bad spot. Hey, we're burying the lead here. You got Rondo back in New Orleans. I got half of New Orleans pissed at me right now. You know what, though? (laughs) In all honesty, I think that that was a huge mistake. I mean... Why? Oh yeah, I mean Ty Lawson was on their their radar last year, and I I think Ty Lawson would have made more sense, and I'm sure Demarcus and him had a good relationship, and uh, so I, I'm just kind of surprised that they didn't maybe go that direction. I I hope Ty lands somewhere. He's a good guy, and and you know hopefully his off the court troubles are are past, but. You know, clearly he's not coming back to Sacramento. I, I just wonder if they consulted De- DeMarcus and DeMarcus said he wanted Rajon Rondo on the team because, you know, he's been favorable to that in the past. And and that to me is a hilarious decision because you're betting if this thing doesn't work out this year, the only scenario in New Orleans that I think pans out for them, which doesn't really make sense when you got Drew Holiday under a big contract, is that John Wall comes to New Orleans to play with you know, Boogie and Anthony Davis. Um, that would be the only scenario where I think it works out for New Orleans long term. So you're betting that you have this good season with Rondo and Cousins. And we've seen that pairing in the past. It just doesn't work out. Yeah, I, I really do believe that, that that team is in trouble. And I also believe Washington's in trouble long term. I mean, Washington's up against it on the cap after they they decided to match on Otto Porter. So um and, and I mean that's a good segue segue to to where we're going next. Let's, the free agent acquisitions by the Sacramento Kings, and uh, you know I think July fourth is the day that really the fireworks started. They they inked, uh, well they came to an agreement with Zebo and they came to an agreement with George Hill, and then they were able able to add Vince Carter a couple of days later. Um, I was at their pre- press conference in uh, in Las Vegas. And I got to be honest, Aaron, that wasn't a press conference. That was like, that was something different. That was a, a master's course in veterans and culture building and why you you reach out to winners and, and bring them into your young team. I couldn't have been more impressed with all three of them. Um, and really, George Hill kind of caught me off guard. Uh, Vince Carter's a good talker. Uh, George Hill caught me off guard. No, if you if you listen to color analyst uh, analysis that uh, Vince Carter was bringing to NBA TV, I mean he's got a future. Whether yes, it's he if he wants to coach or do TV or or whatever it is, and the way he sees the game is nice and clean. Um, you know, I, I don't know about the other two guys. I mean, George has um, you know been a good citizen everywhere he's been, and um, you know he's got San Antonio pedigree and all that. Uh, and then Zebo, obviously, you know, they're building a statue probably of him as we speak in Memphis. It's uh, I, I, I will let the veteran leadership thing, you know, I'll, I'll let that slide because it is a thing and it's it's a big, big, big deal. I can't get over the top on this stuff, though, because, you know, and we discussed this in the last podcast is is this is all going to boil down to development. And I think it's a big pivot point for the Kings. How this season goes is going to really color the discussion of Dave Yeager heading into the final two years of his coaching contract. I really think that Yeager needs to make it to his next contract with this team for the franchise's sake, for them to really kind of put some distance between the, oh, here we go again, another coach type thing, even though he would have theoretically had a a lot of time to make things work. I think if he can make it and if, if the players develop, if you look back and you go, Fox developed, Scal developed, Willie developed, and kind of on down the line. If But if those guys are still playing 15, 20 minutes per game, they look like deers in headlights, that type of thing, then I think you start to ask yourself, what's going to happen? Is is that third next, that following season, next season, is that Jaeger's make it or break it year? Once you start getting into make it or break it years, a lot of pressure starts to coalesce on a franchise, and that's when parties start to drift apart. So I think this year, how they get developed – you know, of course, the veteran leadership is going to help, but will the minutes be there? And that's something, you know, I know we talked about ad nauseum in the last podcast. And looking at the way that these guys have developed in summer league, 
I think there's definitely a lot of interesting things to talk about. Question marks, <laughs> question marks, and and also good stuff. But there are, you know, there are. We saw a little bit of everything out of these guys. We did, but let's let's finish up with these veterans because you sound almost like you're not willing to, you're not on board with these guys as veteran leaders. And for oh, me, oh no 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 no, they are no, they are the cream of the crop as far as if you want to bring in veteran leadership, that's an A plus get. Okay. What okay. I'm saying is. It's all going to come down to whether Dave Yeager plays these kids or not. The, well, the whole like you got to earn it thing, it's you know it's this thing that happens with 30 teams in the league. You see coaches of varying um, philosophies with how they do it. Some get it done and some don't. Some guys come through the system and they get developed. Some don't. You see the good teams do it. The bad teams don't do it. Where are the Kings going to be after a year? And it's not all going to be the veterans talking in these guys' ears. So that's where the rubber meets the road on that sort of thing for my for, for, for my money. Okay, two things. Number one, I, I asked specifically, I asked George Hill, how are you going to do this whole competing for menacing with De'Aaron Fox? I said, you're 31 years old. You still got a lot of basketball life in you. You should at least. I said, but you decided to take on a mentorship role. How is that going to work out? And he said, look, if, if he plays 40 minutes a, a night and I play eight and it makes us better, then I'm okay. He said, look, I'm about winning and I'm not, I'm never going to take a step back from what I learned from my San Antonio days. Like if we're winning and he's helping the team win and he's the better solution, then, then I'm all for him playing and and playing as much as possible. And I thought that that was really, uh, it was insightful from George, from George Hill. But when's, when's Fox going to be better than Hill this year? Probably never. Like, realistically speaking. I mean, Hill is at the top of his game right now. Last year was the best I've ever seen him play. Oh yeah, of course. It wasn't, it wasn't particularly close either. But he played 49 games too. I mean, keep that in mind that there's going to be plenty of opportunity. He he had a, the, the, the Utah offense and Quinn Snyder is a genius. Um, the way that they deployed him in Utah was just really elegant. The, the, the spacing that he had, the opportunities that he had, and and he just made it look effortless out there. Fox isn't going to get there. I mean, unless this this offense doesn't mix with George Hill for whatever reason. And there's a lot of dribble handoff in Utah's offense, which necessarily, generally speaking, brings a big man up, you know, elbow or above to yeah. create the dribble handoff. So I think that this will fit George Hill. But I just, I mean, Fox, first of all, is possibly the fastest player in the NBA already. Yes. You know, maybe faster than John Wall. No, I believe he uh, is. His burst is crazy. That's the one his, thing that I took away from Summer League. His defense is outstanding. His his timing on his digs is outstanding. Um, I think he's going to be a steals machine. Mm-hmm. But nobody's going over the screen on him. And then he's not going to just get by NBA-level defenders with that speed at will. But if he ever develops anything resembling a jump shot, which he has at times shown that he can stick the J, um, he's going to be uncoverable. And that's going to be way above all-star level. You'd be talking about like, you know, first, second, third team, all NBA. Yeah. If he develops that jumper, because nobody at that point in time will become close to covering him. And and that's really fun to just kind of look at and see if he can get there. But next year, George Hill will be better than him all year. In my opinion, so no, I mean, I, I George, George, is, George is saying the right things, but is is Jaeger going to want to play George Hill less than thirty minutes per game? And I think the answer is going to be no. Well, even if he plays him thirty minutes a game, that leaves Fox eighteen and maybe a few more minutes if if they steal minutes from other positions while they play together. And I think that this is it's a good fit for right now. And the Kings were definitely wary on the fact that they don't believe that De'Aaron Fox is ready to play 35 minutes a game this season, and they don't want to damage him, and they want him to learn under someone. And so I'm okay with it all the way around. In all honesty, I think he's got to play, and I do believe he is going to play. When you talked about the fastest player in the NBA, it's not just speed, Aaron. It's the acceleration. And what I watched in Summer League was that he would kind of like run alongside a guy, like jogging alongside of a guy. And as soon as the guy decided to put down the hammer to try to beat him somewhere, he was in front of him like within five steps. You're just like, how in the world did he just do that? He is so quick. He's fast, but he's also so quick. It's like, well, wow. 
he can also decelerate. So he was at full speed with a, a live dribble and had it came time to break down some poor schmuck that had no chance. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he decelerated into a double crossover dribble, which to me was just like, wow. Um, he, so for him, all he needs to do is continue to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And then it's just all about the pull up dribble for him or the pull up jumper. Cause I mean, if he gets that, I swear it's over and, and that'll be fun. Um, but again, so like, let's, let's say, I mean, Frank Mason, I saw an article uh, that Jason wrote the other day that said that maybe Frank plays some nights and, and De'Aaron plays on other nights. And, and that's going to be, you know, if you look at that year, if, if George Hill plays 30 minutes a game and, and does well, the Kings will do well, by the way. Um, and then you're going to have uh, the question of, well, how did De'Aaron do? And, and De'Aaron, in a, kind of look at Chris Dunn and how he did in his about 11, 12 minutes per game. It's so hard to develop a feel for the game in just 12, 15, 18 minutes per game. You're really kind of largely just going out there and hoping not to screw up too much. Um, so it's going to just be hard to gauge whether or not he gets developed. Now, I don't worry about Foxes as much as I deal or as I, I would worry about guys like Scal, Willie. Um, Papa Giannis is kind of, you know, his own thing. Papa um, Giannis isn't going to play this year. Almost assuredly, he's not going to play hardly at all. He'll be in Reno most of the season. And, I mean, let, let's take on the Papa Giannis situation. I mean, watching Papa Giannis in Summer League, I think it for a lot of Kings fans, they're just like, oh, boy. I mean, this guy just, I mean, he has a lot of flaws. And, and I'll point out a couple of things. Number one, he turned 20 like five days before Summer League started. Um, so, I mean, he, he's 20 years old and any big that's 20 years old usually has some issues. Uh, number two, his body looks a hundred times better. I, I think he's done a lot of really good work on his body. The problems that I saw were still the speed of the game and his hands. And I, I'm going to like, I, I saw it on Twitter as people, you know, saying all kinds of things about how he, he has the worst hands they've ever seen. They compared him to Jason Thompson um, you know, they, they said, just look, the dude can't catch it all. And I don't think that that's the case. I actually do believe he can catch because I watch him go up and rip balls down all the time with one hand. And, you know, even in summer league, I thought he, he's got these, he's got decent sized hands and he has an ability to go up and grab boards. Problem that I saw is that he doesn't have any strength in those hands. Once somebody comes, as soon as he got the ball, they just collapsed on him and took the ball from him. And I was completely shocked. It was almost like, he doesn't know how to protect the ball. He doesn't know how to protect, you know, he brings the ball too low, number one. That's a huge issue. But number two, he doesn't know how to get his elbows up and, and really protect the ball. And he's got to get better at that because it was a bunch of a bunch of rebounds where he grabbed a rebound and someone just ran by, tipped it right out of his hand and took it right back up. And you're like, what in the world? Or they would feed him in the post. Someone would just go down and just grab the ball from him. And it was like, wait, what are you doing? So I he doesn't need to dribble. He doesn't need to. That's another issue. Like, don't if you have problems holding onto a ball, don't dribble it. You know, just use your footwork and, and work within space. Um, but I think he needs to figure that one out. And I think they spent a lot of time with him as uh, working on his physique. And it's just really tough to simulate what they're trying to do. Um, you know, when you got like a three on three game going, is there going to be someone that's coming in and swiping away at a ball in a three on three setting? And I don't think that the answer is yes, it's it's no. And so he needs to get better at that. Yeah, I, I almost wish that he could go through like an 80s montage training video, uh, you know, like Rocky, where he's chasing the chicken around the alley and getting the agility and the quickness or like, you know, Karate Kid, where they're working on his balance, <laughs> you know, like because he's just like so tall. Right. And you could tell he's gotten thinner. And oh, yeah, he, still, yeah. he just gets knocked around off of his axis. So everything he does, he has a lack of balance, whether it's rebounding, like you see him kind of start his jump while the ball is still almost in the air. And, and he kind of just takes a while to get there. And, and when he does time it right, nobody else can get the board. And then, you know, he gets the ball in the post and he's got some little guy kind of pushing him off his spot because his center of gravity is so high. But he's also not balanced enough to kind of offset that with his strength and, and when it comes to footwork there's just not enough balance and and nimbleness there to 
really counter anything. So you see him go to his pet move, which is dribble five times and try to get into this kind of sweeping hook from way too far out. So, yeah, I think he's going to spend a lot of time in Reno. It is a disappointment, though, because, you know, you you don't get to see these guys in the offseason, but you do project that they take some steps forward in terms of skill and feel for the game. And it does not appear at least in terms of this first initial uh, summer league competition, which to be fair for a lot of these guys, you know, the off season is what it is. There's not a ton of time between the end of the season and the off season, as much time as people think you got to take some time off. You, you kind of got to do your thing and, and whatever training he's been doing, you know, maybe it's all been mostly trying to get in shape with physique and, and not as much on, um, you know, things like balance and skill, but it's uh, it's definitely Reno for him this year, yes. and, and that will help alleviate some of the questions about minutes that we've had. Um, you still have a log jam up front with um, Costa Kufus in there, and so I, I would presume I, I tried to put together a Kings uh, depth chart uh, the other day. And I just looked at it and laughed because I have no idea. <laughs> but, I think it's pretty clear, though. I think it's uh, either Zevo or Scal starting at the four, and those two will play all the minutes at the four. And I think it's it's Costa and Willie, whoever is going to start. I don't know who that is at the five. And those four are going to eat up all, what, 96 minutes. That's what I was trying to figure out, though, is what's the good pairing? Do you want to pair Zebo with Costa and and kind have old more school. yeah yeah and then have the thin towers come in behind that I, that so between that and then you've got the two three situation which is just a nightmare oh yeah I I don't know I mean I I heard I, I thought um you know if Garrett Temple starts at the three that might alleviate some issues there I would but assume I could, that that's the plan as of right now yeah I mean it makes sense to pull somebody out of that shooting guard bucket because that's just an absurd shooting guard bucket to try to fill especially if you want to try to get Fox some minutes alongside George Hill, well, you, you, got, you got to do something here. I'm going to point out the other thing too, that about, um, because Scal didn't have a good summer league either. I mean, I, he's not going to say that he did. I, he had one game where he looked good and the same game, Papianis looked good. Um, overall, I, I just thought he just had a rough go. And the reason why I believe he had a rough go is because summer league is very specific about, if you don't look good in summer league, if if you look bad in summer league, then people start talking. And, you know, so if you just have like a, a moderate, so even like Scal, I, I would say he had like an okay summer league. He didn't blow up and you would expect him to blow up. Well, the problem is the guards that the Kings brought with them were trying to put on a show. And De'Aaron Fox is, is great at driving to the hoop and breaking guys down and his pull-up jumper looked way better. And then the, I'll point out too, the only passes that he really did, him and both Frank Mason and him, they cut to the hole and then they kicked to the corner where I know one game Buddy Heald and Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson went 0 for 8 and Buddy Heald went 1 for 5 from 3. So they weren't getting any assists. Well, there was very, very few pick and roll opportunities for these bigs. There were very few post-up opportunities, and when they were coming, they were coming out of rhythm. So I know one game specifically, they they fed Scowl in the first quarter like four times in a row and got him going, and he had a nice game. But then they went away from him again. So the inexperience of the guards, and I'm going to throw Buddy Heald in this as well. We've talked about this in the past. Buddy Heald still is he's not a pick-and-roll guy at all, and that's an issue, especially if you're going to run a pick-and-roll offense. And even what I saw in summer league is that they knew he wasn't going to pass that he doesn't pass on a pick and roll. So Scal came up, he set a pick, both guys just double team buddy on the other side of the pick and blocked him. And buddy still tried to go up and shoot it with two guys standing there instead uh, of finding Scal on the cut down. And so I think Scal and poppy they never got a chance to get in rhythm because their guards weren't getting them in rhythm. It was a fend for yourself. Go get me a rebound and score, and that's it. I was going to – yeah, I wanted to to echo that point because that was my biggest takeaway from just offensive philosophy. Also, disclaimer, summer league, summer league, summer you league. You have no time to yeah put in a real offense. I mean you have but, like – But still, there's still elements of kind of how do you play the game, and I thought that this group – you know, the first three games of summer league are always the ones that you kind of want to measure more because more guys that are relevant are playing <clears> – <throat> And they played very selfish basketball, all of them, 
Um, and yes. there was no rhythm on the floor. And Buddy, this is mostly on him. He's been in the league a year. He should know better. And I think he went in there and kind of like his general approach to the game is I'm going to dominate scoring. Um, that's great if you're the sixth man for the Kings and you play in a light offensive unit and it's really going to be you versus the world. That aspect of development wasn't there. So that was a little bit disappointing there. And as far as the uh, the system itself, very interested to see if this high um, post horns offense is the best fit for this team because we've seen issues with it in the past. We saw Willie struggle with it early last year. Uh, seeing Scal kind of constantly go up into that horns position and not have a lot of great opportunities come out of it. I think it's something he can do, but I just wonder if that is optimized for his game, for Willie's game. And then Papagianis in that system above the elbow, it's just like giving the defense a, a free pass. And, and But that's kind of true of any big man that can't drill an 18-footer with some sort of fluidity, you know, because if you're going to constantly be able to sink down as a center and help off of any sort of dribble handoff or any sort of kind of, um, you know, the guard passes to the big, breaks towards the hoop, whether outside, generally speaking, or inside, you know, a center that can just sink back and take away that cut, that just ruined your first initial action in the offense. So now you're into second and third actions. Hopefully things are going well at that point. But the more actions you have in an offense, unless you're the San Antonio Spurs, the harder things are. So that being a core function of the Kings offense was something that just kind of I mentally flagged his thought. If Scal and Willie and obviously Papa won't be in, but if this isn't going to be, you know, think Costa Kufus and how many times he was, you know, his man was basically playing center field as the dribble handoff guy at the top in the horns position. It, to me, it's, it's, this is Jaeger's offense and it's not just Jaeger. A lot of coaches use this offense. It has the benefit of pulling the centers up. You get passing lanes on the back cuts. Um, you know, it's a good offense. Don't get me wrong, but you just got to have the personnel. You got to mark Gasol to, or, or, or Nikola Jokic to really make that thing hum. And, and are these young guys going to be able to do that? I don't see. I really do believe that it comes down to your your guards' ability to work within the pick and roll as well. So, and I think that that's that's a major issue, especially for a guy like Buddy Hield, like because he's about to go into training camp up against Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, who again signed this week and Bogdan uh, flat out is a pick and roll dude. I mean, he, he can do uh, again. I'm well, he's, not like, gonna, he's like CJ McCollum. He's like CJ, but he's also, he has the ability a little bit like James Harden to stand at the top of the key and orchestrate an entire offense and draw guys in and draw guys up and, and, uh, and dribble and, and have hesitations and, play off the the pick and roll guy to go up and around and come back to bury the three ball. He's got just such a different skill set than buddy. And I think that that is, you're going to see that is the biggest competition that you're going to see coming into camp. And I think buddy again, showed up at summer league thinking, Oh, I'm just going to drop 25 a game and I'm going to be the talk at summer league. And I'm going to walk out of here and be like, Oh yeah, you see what I just did. And that doesn't work when the team around you you know, is young and, and no one's guarding. Everyone is just guarding you. You know, that's, it's something that we talked about with Anthony Tolliver last year, where all of a sudden teams are game planning for Anthony Tolliver because the Kings don't have a multiple prong attack once they traded to Marcus Cousins. So Anthony Tolliver is not sitting in the corner by himself anymore because no one on the Kings required a double team. So Buddy's going to have that same issue this year because no, I mean, they'll have guys that, Maybe you'll see Zebo who draws a double team on occasion. Maybe you'll have to see defenses move a little bit because of uh, De'Aaron Fox speed or because of George Hill's skill. Um, but it's not like he's just going to be out on an island hanging out waiting to catch and shoot uh, because the team around him isn't you know, the quality that they're inexperienced and they're not ready to take on the next step. And, to, and so it's sort of like you have to progress as a team. His game is more of a, a player that would work with some really high-end talent all around him. Like, I think he's a guy that would have worked perfect with DeMarcus Cousins because he can catch and shoot and, and come off a big screen and, and knock down a jumper and do a lot of things. But the Kings no longer have DeMarcus Cousins 
And so he's going to have to figure out ways to be successful and figure out ways to make his teammates better because scoring 18 points a night, which he could do this season, that might not make this team any better. And well, this is where combinations are really interesting too. Cause like, so to me, buddy is like, he's a six man. Like he's not a starter cause he can't play defense yet. And it's debatable if he'll ever be able to play defense. And in fact, if you have to rank these guys, it goes temple by a considerable margin, uh, then Bogdanovich and then buddy healed. Buddy healed though is a huge priority for this organization. So you're going to see Temple's minutes come back, and and that is what it is. You know, um, you're, you're trying to develop the young guys. George Hill as your starter is a capable player on both both sides of the floor. So do you put Bogdanovich with him, who can also handle and and is probably going to be able to at least kind of hang in there on defense, probably to the same degree as Buddy Hill, but he's going to have more polish. He's going to be able to run that pick and roll. Do you kind of waste that with George Hill next to him? So you probably don't. So you start Buddy, who's a typical six man, and and play him next to Hill to kind of keep him reeled in and to help with some of the defensive issues because you could put Buddy on the weaker of the two guards and then have George Hill defend whoever's better. It gets kind of all backwards, this Kings lineup and rotation. Then you have Fox with Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich is arguably, well, he is the better ball handler. So now you're making Fox a spot-up shooter. That synergy right there, and again, all of this is predicated on playing Garrett Temple starting him at the three. <laughs> now you got to have Vince Carter get his 20 minutes because that's probably written in the stone. I don't know that that's written in stone. I, well, you know, If you look, Vince has played like 14 minutes a game, 16 minutes a game, 18 minutes a game over the last couple uh, of years. He was good uh, last year. He's a 20-minute guy. And, but here's the thing. Say you don't play him. Now you got Garrett playing say 24 minutes a game, 25, 27 minutes a game. Malachi, assuming his hamstring's okay, can come in and play the rest of those minutes, but that takes Vince Carter off the floor. And then where are you putting Temple versus Malachi? I think if you've got Hill and and Buddy together, you got enough shooting. You could probably go with Temple, even though I think at this stage he might be a better shooter than Malachi. Not sure. It's hard to say. Malachi's think, hey, you completely He's... forgot Justin Jackson. And so I, I think when it comes down to it, unfortunately for Malachi, that hamstring better be 100% and, and hold up and not have any any issues at all between now and, and the end of training camp. But I think Malachi is in a dogfight for minutes with Justin Jackson because I think Justin Jackson just showed you that he's very versatile. Now, I, I thought, you know, he he really, if you, I don't think you want to run him on the court a whole bunch with De'Aaron Fox. Maybe you do. Um, but because the speed difference between the two is like, uh-oh. Like, <laughs> Justin Jackson is very methodical in everything that he does. But I was impressed with Justin Jackson. I think, you know, he had a couple of bad shooting. He had two really bad shooting games which really hurt his his production level and his shooting percentages and stuff like that. But overall, I thought he looked calm and relaxed and mature. And I thought his he didn't do anything that was like way outside of the realm of basketball. I think even when he shot 0 for 8 from 3, I don't remember one of those shots being a bad shot. And I could hear players on the bench yelling, keep shooting, keep shooting. And, and so I think... He's the guy that instantly comes in and he's going to give Malachi a major run for minutes. And if, you know, one of those guys could see some time in, in Reno, and if I'm putting money on it at this point, I'm going to say it's Malachi and it's not Justin Jackson. I think, I think Garrett Temple is probably your starting small forward as of today. Uh, and Malachi is going to be on the bench and Justin Jackson is going to play 18 to 20 minutes a game as a rookie backing up, backing up Garrett Temple <laughs> at the three. I love it. I, I, you know, this is a great conversation. Um, Justin Jackson plays the game the right way. He does. He, he plays the game the right way. He can shoot. And, um, but, but here's the thing. He's his defense is It's two things. He knows where to go on defense. It's, it's fun to watch him play defense because he's hedging the right ways. He's, for a guy, when if you can't keep up with guys, you learn the shortcuts. JJ Reddick's a great example of this for uh, now Philly, being able to shade players different ways and kind of cut off angle. All that stuff is important. He's already showing great initial signs that he's going to be able to do that. And as for his offense, he de- generally goes 
to a good place with the ball. But the problem is, is first of all, he can't cover twos in this league at all. And, and Dennis Smith is a great talent. So it's probably not the best measurement, but he showed in that missed dunk what the the center of gravity is way too high for for Justin Jackson. But he and, shouldn't be guarding a six foot one guard, anyways. But he's going to do that all day in the NBA. No, and, and, I mean he should be guarding small forwards and, and shooting guards. He shouldn't I, be guarding points. He's not going to be able to do that, not in his first year. And well, yeah, so but I, I don't think Buddy can guard anyone in his second year, and I don't think Malachi's shown that he can defend anyone yet either. I mean, so if the bankable. I'm gonna, the bankable skill for Jackson is is his shooting. That is a bankable skill, and that's not going away. Um, it's not going to be like Jimmer where he shot great in college and then he can't shoot at the pro level. Like Justin Jackson will get shots off by virtue of his height and by virtue of, of kind of having that great feel for the game. Now, everything else, though, he's not going to get these runners that he's been getting off in summer. Like, he's not going to get them off at the – in, in the Western Conference. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, you're probably right because he did a bunch of pump fakes on the threes and ran right to the basket. And I was like, wow, look at that. That's like his go-to move. It's either... But then he has the ability to stop on a dime and pull up and, and hit a 18-foot or a 15-foot jumper on the run too. So, I mean, I think you're right. Like, the floaters were not a thing of beauty. Like, I, I was surprised a few of them went in just because they weren't pretty. And, but I think he still has some creativity to him that that makes him an intriguing player. And uh, you're right, maybe he's he's not playing uh, massive minutes, but I just don't know that Malachi has done enough to show anyone. Unfortunately, it, the injury really hurt him, and then the injury in summer league hurt him again. And if that thing's not right, 100%, you know, what do you do with him? How do you how do you work with him? The thing with Malachi is I think he gives you a chance at having a plus defender on the floor, believe it or not, with all of the bad stuff coming out of Syracuse about his defense. I mean, he showed last year's ability to get around screens and, and work hard on that end I, I with the physique. And he's definitely strong enough to cover threes in today's mm-hmm. NBA. I mean, there's going to be so. a few exceptions there that just by that, I think he, as long as he's healthy, will be able to supplant Justin Jackson's minutes. But with Jackson, the thing that kind of makes him sneaky is you can put him in a game and for 15, 20 minutes and the other team might not figure it out, you know, especially in this first year, how to attack him or there, you know, it's not going to be as apparent. The, the, the good teams might say, okay, we got not a mouse in the house, but that kind of a thing. And really get after it because if you were to isolate him and and just make him cover somebody any three off the dribble that's got any sort of offensive game they're going to be able to body him into a foul just about every single time because he's not going to bother the dribble and he's not going to threaten the dribbler into any sort of bad decision so it's really just going to be can the dribbler be coherent enough to get a good shot that they want some threes won't be able to do that a lot of threes in this league will be able to just take him to the rack all you know every single time down the court um i don't so. think he's going to be a stopper i do think that he has a high basketball iq which will help him even on the defensive end and so i'm actually like again i think his his game is accomplished it, it's it's something that you know is further advanced than the other players that we've talked about at that position i think he's like he may not be a 20 point a game scorer, but I, I certainly think he can give you in year two, year three, he can give you the same thing that Otto Porter's giving. He he probably won't be as good a defender, but I think he'll be remotely close. He'll be able to cover guys. He has a, a decent wingspan. He'll be able to collapse on shooters. You know, a lot of the NBA's three point, uh, I mean, small forwards are three and D guys. They aren't creative guys. And they aren't guys who go in the post and back you down. I mean, this is not really the three, the small forward game anymore. And so I, I don't know. I, I like his, his potential. And I think he showed me more than almost anyone in summer league. I just thought, huh, look at that. He's way better than I thought he is. Than, He's than very, he very good with his positioning and his, his angles are very, very good. That's going to be his saving grace. If this all works out for him, it will be that he's able to cobble this all together and and just be a guy that if you're not going to lock your guy down, at least stand in the right spots and provide the right type of support. So you're not, you know, so you can be average on defense and then hopefully everything else comes together for him as well. That's right. All right. So Aaron, we've covered Scott Perry. 
Uh, we've covered the free agent acquisitions. Uh, we've covered Summer League, which had some major highs and lows. Um, the injury bug was a bummer. Uh, Buddy Hield was always scheduled to play three games and then leave. I, I thought that I thought that from the very beginning, and I wasn't surprised at all when they shut him down. Um, losing Fox and not being able to, I mean, his ankle, uh, he rolled it a couple of times in, in the little training camp beforehand. Um, I thought that that was an issue, you know, coming in and then it just kept playing out that way. I mean, he was hurting and his stats showed that, but I also, um, Dennis Smith was absolutely so much fun to watch and he's going to be a ball player. Uh, I think Lonzo ball is, is just blowing up and showing everybody why, it is that when you went and saw him in person, um, even like when I went to UCLA, the UCLA game in the tournament and watched him, he's just so good. He's so smooth and has so much potential. Um, he's going to be a really good ball player. This is a really good draft class. Uh, and, and I think for the Kings, Poppy Giannis and, and Harry Giles and uh, maybe Frank Mason, but maybe not. I And, and certainly either Malachi or Justin Jackson, they're going to spend time in Reno this year and they're going to spend a lot of time together and they're going to take it slow and they're going to teach these guys how to play basketball. And I think that's what's really nice about this staff. Uh, they added Phil Ricci from, uh, man, from, he's a local kid. Um, you know, they've done the things that they need to do. And I think I'm going to give Jaeger a shot here to show me that he's the guy that, you know, worked his way through the minors that won D-League championships and stuff like that and and bringing young players along that way. I'm going to let him show me that he's that guy and not the guy who had a 50-win team who has picks between 25 and 30 who aren't very good and who everyone wanted to just thrust in and play on day one. So I'm going to give him a a long rope here to to show us what he's got as a coach, and his coaching staff is good, and I I think this is going to be an interesting season, Sacramento. Boyan or not Boyan Bogdan Bogdanovich. I want to see this. I want to see because here's the thing. You know, the Kings are going to get like an over under of like twelve or something, and <laughs> twelve wins. And and I think when you start to stack, uh, you know, Zebo with Kufus and then Hill and Temple and Bogdanovich. That's better than a lot of Eastern Conference teams. And yeah, they got to play the West a whole lot. But I'm just thinking purely selfishly here. You know, I might have to take a trip to Reno, um, depending on where this number comes out. That, and I, but, uh, but Bogdanovich, to me, he could be, uh, it, with the C.J. McCollum-like game, that can really be a difference maker for a ball club. If he can control tempo, that's the one thing outside of George Hill that this Kings offense doesn't really have is a guy that can control tempo. And if you get a second one, man, and along with Zebo with his 23, 24 minutes per game, you could control tempo. That's the key to offense in the NBA. It, when you're just out there doing God knows what, that's not offensive basketball. Controlling tempo would equate to five to 10 additional wins for the Kings. So what is, what is your prediction? My prediction is the over under comes in at like, Oh, let's go 28. Is that sound? So I go over under comes in at 28 and the over under on brew driving to Reno is probably um, a guarantee, whatever that is. <laughs> I'm going to say their over under is going to be lower than that. And that- people are going to be so- shocked. I think it'll be 25, 26. Um, and, you know, I was surprised. I know my buddy, Matt Moore, from uh, CBS, he he put out his power rankings, and I was shocked he had Kings at twenty one. But then you looked at the teams below them, and you're like, oh man, I, okay, I don't agree with. I think he had Detroit below the Kings. I didn't agree with that, but some of these teams have taken such a major step back. You know, if you look at Indiana, if you look at man, who do you? So Brooklyn, Indiana. Um, Man. Well, basically everybody in the East, anybody that's not in the top five, you know, bucks and above in the East yeah, is Chicago, Chicago is up for grabs, major steps back. Um, I mean, there are a lot of teams, the Lakers, the Lakers, they took a step forward, but not like crazy step forward. And I, I don't think they'll be that good. And so 
when you're really looking at it, you know, could the Kings be better on paper? I mean, better in reality than than maybe they should be. It's very possible because the haves and the have-nots in the NBA are completely separated now. This is not even it's not even close. I mean, there are like great teams, and then there are a lot of really really bad teams that are kind of starting over at the beginning and, and trying to you know figure out who and what they are. And so um, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to make a prediction on wins yet, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if the predictor is 25 to 27. And, and you know what, Dave Yeager's a good coach and he's got some, some seasoned veterans to rely on here and there. And, and so I, I think this team could win 30, but I'm not going to, I wouldn't bet money on it because I, I just think that's where they are. And I, you know, I hope Dave Yeager gets his fourth year picked up on his contract because I think this team started over big time and they deserve and he deserves that. They owe him that. Um, but you know, that's something that I think is it's it's an issue now because you hit a reset button. He's gotta pass this test this year. This is dogged him in Memphis. This isn't just like new stuff. This is a thing that he's gotta get through and he's gonna disagree with that wholeheartedly, but he's gotta figure that these kids get they get they get minutes they develop they get to that next step and i mean that's where this kings team that's the bet that you've made on this kings team with willie scal fox and on down the line for them to take that next step to be something interesting where veterans will want to come and play then he's going to have to pass that test i'm not giving that fourth year until i see you know if it's me in the decision making seat which is not i'm not doing that until i see these guys really come through and um and and have a big difference in their game and i do think that they can win you know uh, they're not going to the playoffs you can scratch that one off the list but you know could they win 30 games next year absolutely i mean the one thing about this team in general is they've never ever had synergy where everything was working in the way that it should work as, as you know kind of in a clean basketball sense whether it was DeMarcus, whether it was George Carl, whether it was, you know, some glaring thing, Rajon Ronda, there's always been this kind of tension with this team where they worked against themselves. So the minute they don't work against themselves and just kind of let the talent do its thing, I think you'll see a, a bubble of about five to 10 wins, you know, just kind of come out of that one thing that they're not working against themselves. Okay. I can see that. I also, again, I'll go back to Dave Yeager. Anytime outside of Memphis has been a guy who's been developing guys. He's a he's a developed coach. I mean, that's what he did to get into the league. And again, the reason why I say pick up the fourth year is is pretty clear because I think last year it, it wasn't stage one. That's not year one of a rebuild. That was year one of, you know, you're going to try to make it work with DeMarcus Cousins and then pull the rug out from under you midway through the season. You have, we've never seen this in the NBA. We've never seen a team walk into the season with nine first year or rookie year players. I mean, the Kings in the early nineties, they drafted four first round picks in one season. They basically, the Kings have done that and, and then added a fifth guy this year so so nine guys five of which who have never played in the nba four of which have played only buddy hill played 82 games the rest of them played like 30 and under i mean this is like walking into a season without with with three rookies from last year that are pure rookies again this year in scow malachi and Papianis, and then five more rookies. So you're basically walking into the season with eight rookies. This is year one of a rebuild. And if you're going to like put him on the clock and say, you got this year to earn next year's contract, you know, to, to be here next year. And, and because we know that how these things work, you know, he needs that extra year. He knows he's here this year. He's here next year. And he's likely here the year after, but you need that two years to show that you can build this thing. And, and that's why I say, you know what, I'm willing to give him a shot. And I think like Jason March did a great job in summer league dealing with a really, really, really young roster. Um, I think this coaching staff is good and I want to see them get an opportunity to develop these players and have one system that they're developing under and teach them how to play the game the right way 
and then see how we come out of this. And, you know, if, if four or five of these guys are NBA rotational players, I don't think that the coaching staff has done anything wrong. I think they've done about everything right that you can. And so you got to hope that the buddy and De'Aaron and Justin Jackson and, uh, and Scal, you know, those guys are all players, but you also have to hope that Malachi pans out or Papi Giannis pans out or Frank Mason pans out. And then Bogdanovich, you know, that might be your fifth guy. Uh, and then Harry Giles is like the biggest wild card of ever, uh, that's ever been. And so you really, you need like five of these guys to really work out and to be long-term rotational fits for this team, not stars. You need one star at least, and you need one really good player or two really good players. But the rest of these guys, they need to have something that we can take from this, this huge, I mean, again, nine players over two years is just crazy to add. And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that most coaches would look at that job and take it because they know that they're not going to be there to see the fruits of the labor pay out most likely. And so I would give him the fourth year now. I give him, I give him this year. So this is the evaluation year. And then the clock for me starts ticking on January 1st. If on January 1st and beyond, these kids aren't playing meaningful minutes and showing meaningful progress, then I'm starting to get a little worried if I'm a Kings fan that it might be the case that this year gets written off and then they talk about that improvement coming next year. And and that's the hard part. If you get into next year and you're still waiting and hoping for improvement, then you have the question of do you extend Jaeger and all that. Again, rooting for him because I do think that the Kings need to keep that continuity going and, and really give him a good six, seven-year ramp up with this team but you can't just bet seven years blind. You you, you got to see it this year. And I think he's, I think he's, oh, no, I'm capable. not saying give him seven years. I'm saying his fourth year option isn't picked up. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no, I know. And you got to decide that over the course of next summer, I think. Yeah. Is figure out if, if that's what you want to do. And, and Jaeger's a good coach. He's, he's definitely, you know, at least middle of the pack with some, you know, kind of top 10 upside. That's really good in this league to have that type of, um, you know, a package. But with this particular squad, if you miss on these guys and, and the, the question then becomes, can you, ex- you have, these guys will get expensive eventually right now. They're all cheap and, and that's great. You got to find the ones that you want to keep and pay them. But if they don't develop and then you've got to gamble on an extension for one of these young rookies, now your cap situation's not great. And the Kings need a good cap situation with a good young core so then they can turn to a couple key veterans in two to three years and say, hey, why not Sacramento? Yeah, look at the summer of 2019. I mean, mm-hmm. holy cow, they're going to have a lot of money and they're going to have, they're going to be a year away from any decision with the young guys. And that's the year where you're really going to see them, you know, if they they're going to make sell, a splash, it's going to be right then. Yeah, they have to sell Scal, Willie, Fox. They have to sell those guys to the free agents. Say, these are the guys you want to play with. And here's why. Not like we, they've been on the bench for two to three years and, and they're up to 25 minutes a game. You know, they could possibly be good in a couple years. It has to be a known commodity so these free agents can say, hey, you know what? Why not Sacramento? That's right. All right. So, Aaron, uh, I think that's going to do it. Uh, we've been yeah. talking for an hour. <laughs> As we've been known to do. Yes. Um, my final thoughts are everybody have a great week. I'll be in Maui. <laughs> Oh, look at that. Uh, okay, so again, happy birthday to Aaron Bruski. Uh, Sacramento Kings are back in Sacramento. Uh, this is that horrible time of the year where things go silent. So we're going to continue to podcast all the way through. Uh, we'll bring in some guests. We'll do a lot of different things here over the next couple of weeks. Um, but just keep in mind that uh, July to um, maybe the first two weeks of September are some of the worst as far as basketball news goes, it just goes dormant. Um, training camp is usually July 25th-ish. Uh, this year, that will be moved up 10 days, I believe. So probably, I mean, September, September 25th-ish. And so we're going to be looking at around uh, maybe the 15th of September when things will really start to heat up. But uh, we'll be here, and we'll walk you through everything that happens Uh, The Kings are searching for another front office piece after the loss of Scott Perry. Uh, I wouldn't count them out for a potential one more trade 
to balance his roster just a little bit better, give him a little bit more depth at one or two positions of need, and balance the age a little bit more. So keep an eye out for the potential of, of maybe one more move here. Uh, but barring something strange, I think this is going to be a very similar roster to what you see coming into the 2017-18 season. So thank you for tuning in to the NBC Sports California Kings Insider Podcast. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. We'll see you very soon. <laughs>